Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Obviously the last few weeks we were looking at a series in the book of, of Habakkuk, um, which I hope you got something out of. And uh, thank you, Don. Thank you. Um, in fact, I think it's Habakkuk that Don has become like a, he's become a fitness guru. Uh, my goodness, this man, he runs and he jumps and he cycles. Have you started swimming yet, Don? No, I speak to Emma about that. Okay, okay, so he's going to start swimming. And we were playing, Don and I were playing badminton yesterday. And after, after about two games, Donovan looked like someone had poured water over him. And he was sweating. I don't, is, that, is that a particular thing there, Don? It was, uh, yeah, it was incredible. It made me tired. Um, that's not very difficult, though, is it? So we've been looking at Habakkuk for a few weeks. And, and, and what, what has happened is um, uh, Phil and I had been chatting for a number of weeks about what to do after Habakkuk. And really, Phil, Phil came up with this idea of us doing a series called Walking as Jesus Walked. And uh, I suppose a lot of things we do here are, are at one level about going deeper. Habakkuk was about how do I understand a world in where there is evil and how do I get over that as a Christian and not just as a, not, not just as a person? How do, I, how do I have a Christian perspective on evil in the world and, and deal with it and come to God with it? And, and what Phil really wanted to do, I hope I can represent him a bit, was to do something in response a little bit to, you know, he does a lot of pastoring, he, he meets different people, he chats to them and all that kind of stuff. And he really wanted to help the church to uh, find um, ways and tools by which they could walk the way Jesus walked. And uh, he, uh, the, the sort of, if you like, the verse for this series comes out of 1 John Chapter 2, and so, so he did some notes, actually, and John's going to be speaking into this series. He did some notes, he sent them to us, and, and the notes were really good and full, except for this first week, <laughs> because obviously he was going to talk this week, and so he didn't, he, he didn't actually have much to say on it, on his notes, and he's not been well enough to talk to, so um, I've just made it up as, I've, as I go along, sort of thing, <laughs> which is what I do for most things. Um, so 1 John chapter 2, I'm just going to read one verse, and forgive me that there's no PowerPoint, it just, it just didn't happen this week, um, so forgive me if you're a, if you're a visual learner. Um, 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to read one verse, and then I'm going to read some of John 15. Um, It's the end of verse 5 and then verse 6. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Or I think it's the ESV says this. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray. 
Father, our immediate response to, to such a statement would be, yes, we abide in you, we live in you, and Lord, we want to walk the way you walked. We want to walk the way Jesus walked. And so I pray that uh, today in these next few weeks as we look at that, that you would unpack and open up to our hearts your message for us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Phil was talking about this with me, he had a number of possible aims of the series, and I'm just going to really sort of let, let you know what they, they are. And the first is this, that it would be good for a little bit to focus on the life of Jesus, and that's never a bad thing, yeah, to actually look at the life of Jesus, to look at some of the things that he modelled and to explore what does it mean for me to increasingly become an imitator of Christ, to follow Christ, to walk as he did, and to recognise that walking as Jesus did is possible because his power has come to live within us. That it's not just a case of I do what I want to do and that there's this massive uh, standard that I can't reach. Actually, the power of Jesus lives within us and that's what helps us. The passage that Pete read earlier about grace, it talks about we are his workmanship, which means he's doing stuff in you all the time. He's working out his purposes in you. And that recognising that you're saved by grace is really helpful because you realise, oh, there's not a lot I can do to help him. You know, when you're a child, there's a, there's a picture that was taken of me and my girls many years ago in our, not even our previous house, the one before that. And we had a car and I was washing the car and, and the girls were helping me. And they were like, maybe they were like eight and six and four, something like that, or three. And, and so at one level, their help, it wasn't help. Do you know what I mean? It was like, okay, okay, yes, good, good, good. You know, come around here. Oh, come out the road, Daisy, don't do that. Yeah. It was, at one level, it wasn't help um, because, you know, when you're that kind of age, you, you just sort of get in the way kind of thing. And I, I say that, I, you know, um, I love my girls very much. Um, and sometimes we can be like that with God and we can try and help God. God, I, I know you know stuff, but do you know what? I know stuff. Yeah, I, I know stuff. So what if I do this, maybe? And we can also try and help him, um, but actually we're his workmanship. He doesn't, he doesn't need our help. There is one thing that he needs, and, and we'll come on to that. And then um, we're going to look over the weeks at, at what are some of the practices or or instruments of grace, I think they're described in one book, that we can put in place to help us walk as Jesus walked. And so we'll be looking at those things over the next few weeks. But, but the one thing that Phil did say for this week is he said the introduction was to come out of John 15. So I'm going to turn to John 15 and I'm going to read the first uh, few verses. And you'll know John 15, is, it's in the middle of this sort of time that Jesus is having with his disciples before the end of his life. He gives them some quite amazing instructions and quite some intimate thoughts. And John 15 is right in the middle of that sort of um, account. And it says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit 
while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love one another. How many of you have heard the, uh, the phrase, what would Jesus do? Just put your hands up if you've ever heard that phrase. Yeah, most of us. And I don't mean to embarrass you because I'm going to deconstruct it a little bit. Um, how many of you ever like wear anything? Like you wear a wristband or something like that? Oh good. Okay. None of us. Yeah, okay. How many of you did it when it was cool and now it's not cool to do what Jesus did? It's, um, yeah. Okay, so that phrase, what would Jesus do? Some of you may know the story. It's a, uh, it's, it comes out of a book written by a man called Charles Sheldon back in 1896, and the book was called In His Steps. And Charles Sheldon was, uh, if you like, a, a, a Christian socialist. He had, he had very much Christian socialist views, um, and his approach to, to, to life was that Jesus was not just about salvation, he was also a moral example for us. And so he used to use that phrase in his book, What Would Jesus Do? And uh, there's a story in the book, quite a powerful story, if you read it, of, a, of, a, of a, a, a man who was outside of a church. I think he was a, an alcoholic or he was poor. And he's outside the church and he's talking to somebody and he can hear them singing in the church about all to Jesus and that kind of thing. And, and he, was, he was struggling with, um, you know, why, why is it these people are singing these songs all to Jesus and and giving everything to him. And he said, if, if they spent some of their time doing the thing that they're singing, many people out here who are poor and struggling probably wouldn't be poor and struggling in the same way. 
if those who were actually in that room did something, and he wasn't particularly trying to be critical, he was just saying, then maybe it, you know, it would help. It would help lots of people that are, are out here who are struggling. And, and he couldn't help but observe that lots of those people that went into those big churches also had big cars. Also, they just had stuff. I mean, maybe they didn't have cars in 1896, but they had possessions. They had stuff. And it's always been a challenge for the church, and it remains a challenge for the church, um, that kind of situation where the world remains in sometimes in poverty and pain, and we're celebrating the goodness of God. And I, you won't mishear me, but, but sometimes that can become a bit of a challenge for us. And so that phrase developed, what would Jesus do? And, and it was in that book then, I think in the early 90s in Holland, um, a, a, a lady who was running a youth group sort of resurrected it as a way of trying to help her young people to sort of live more like Jesus. She, she began to use that phrase, what would Jesus do? And off the back of that, we got the T-shirts and the wristbands and all those kinds of things. And then I think um, Charles Sheldon, I think it was his great-grandson, um, uh, almost brought a revised version of the book. And it's a challenge for us. What would you do? But there is a danger that comes with that challenge. Yeah? And no doubt we've all thought about it, which is why many of us don't stand there, sit there with wristbands. And the danger is this. You see, abiding in Jesus... And following in Jesus, following Jesus, is more than how you might respond to what would be called like ethical dilemmas. It's more than what I do. It's more than just going, oh, I'm in a situation here. Um, I've walked past someone who's poor. What would Jesus do? Oh, Jesus would. It's more than that. If it's only that, then then actually you can. There, there will be problems with it. If it's only just about what you do, you see, discipleship has three really key elements to it. First of all, discipleship is a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking. I have to believe certain things about Jesus if I'm to be a disciple of Jesus. I have to believe that he's the Son of God. I have to believe that he came from the Father. I have to believe that he answers my prayers. I have to believe that he died for my sins. I have to believe that abiding in him means walking like him. I have to believe those things. If I don't believe those things, then actually the, the, the person that I might try and live by probably isn't Jesus. The second thing is it's, it's not just a way of thinking, although that is obviously a, a key part of it, but you don't need to know everything. When I say it's a way of thinking, it's not like, oh, have I passed the exam, the Jesus test? Can I, can I answer all the questions about Jesus' life in order to be able to, to, to follow him? No, it's not that kind of knowledge. There's only a few things you need to know. Secondly, it's a way of living. And when they talk about Christian living, and they do that in, in Bible college, and I'm in Bible college on a Monday morning, they call that ethics, where they talk about what you believe, how does it affect what you then do? What do you do in particular situations? So to be a disciple is about a way of thinking. It's also about a way of living. Yeah? So you've got to think certain things, but equally you have to be consistent with how you live. There's no point in 
claim in certain things. You know, you know you've probably met people, I know people, who make huge claims about life. Yeah, I, I had a friend who, he, this guy never got married, I mean, he's older than me now, but, but he, this guy could have run a parenting course. He didn't have children, he'd never been married, but he could have run a marriage course and a parenting course if you were just to hear what he said. He always had strong views, yeah, and he would let you know them, and your kids would be running around, and he'd say, well, I had children, they wouldn't be, and I'd be like, wow, how do you know all of that when you don't have children? When you don't have, you know, you haven't got, all right, how can you be really, really clear about certain things? But it is a way of living. It's not just thoughts that you have, it is the way that you live also. And the thing you need to understand about, or we need to understand about those things, is it's really, one of the challenges that we all face is the fact that the way we think can be shaped by the way we live. So we can be influenced by, by the reality of our living, yeah? And, we can, and the reality of our living can make us think, well, okay, I do think that, but the reality of it is this. Yeah? I do think about marriage, I do think about helping the poor, but the reality is this. And sometimes, actually, we need to switch that around and, and face our reality, face, our, um, face that the doctrines and things that we believe are different to often how we live. But there is a third aspect to discipleship, and it's this. There's a supernatural experience. It's not enough to believe things. It's not enough to live a certain way. You need to encounter God. You need to encounter Jesus. Because it is possible to believe certain things and to live a certain way and not to know him. It's possible not to know him. It's possible just to believe some things. And it's this particular chapter in John 15 that tells us how these things get connected. He's a vine and we are branches. That we come and we live in the vine. Now it's really interesting that Jesus says at the beginning of this passage, I am the true vine. To us that just might sound like a sort of a mystical thought, I am the true vine. But to the Israelites, to the Jews of the day, that was massive. Because until that point, Israel was the vine. Israel was the vine. And all the, all, the, all the Israelites saw themselves as being connected into the people that God had chosen and that he had promised to in the Old Testament. That's where they saw their connection. Israel was the vine. And Jesus comes along, he says, I am the true vine. Yeah? He, he separates himself out and he says, do you know what? It, it's no longer about whether you're connected into Israel, it's whether you're connected into me. And for us, that's massive. The church is not the vine. Your sort of historical uh, sort of heritage is not the vine. Jesus is the vine. And you as an individual need to be connected into Jesus if you are going to be fruitful. You will not be fruitful otherwise. But you could still live a certain way and you could still believe certain things. But you won't be fruitful in the way that God would want you to be fruitful if you are not connected into him. And part of that connection, not all, part of that connection is an encounter. It's when you recognise who Jesus is and you come to him. So the doctrine, the way of thinking is important. It does matter what you believe. 
It does. Yeah? The Bible is not a book. I was talking to someone this week, and, and, I, and I said to her in the conversation, the Bible is not a book of opinions. It's not a book where you can all go, oh, yeah, I believe this, and you say, oh, no, I believe that. It's not a book like that. It's a book of truth. Yeah? And, the, and the key part of it is, is believing. Yeah? The key truth you need to believe is about Jesus. You need to understand that. So it's not just about, you can't believe anything and think yourself Christian. Yeah? There's truth that has to be believed. Secondly, you can't live anyway and think yourself Christian. You can't just live how you want and then sort of almost, almost persuade or explain away how you live. You can't do that. If you're going to be Christian, you must live how Jesus lived. You must walk as Jesus walked. And then you've, you need to have an experience of God that shows God, what does the experience of God do for you and me? It shows us that God is real and it shows us that God is relational, he's personal. If you have not experienced God, sometimes it will be difficult to understand God is real, personal, now, here and now, and that, he's, and that I can experience him, I can experience God. Yeah? If you don't believe that, then you're missing something of the relationship. You're missing something. You see, when Jesus came, he had to clear away some old ways of thinking that had developed. And those old ways of thinking had developed in this way. It's almost like the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' day wore wristbands that said, what would God think? What would God do? It was all very ethical. It was all very, if I'm a Christian, I do this. Or if I'm a Jew, I do this. A true Jew does that. A true Jew does the other. And they had come up with rules upon rules upon rules that determined whether or not you were a true Jew. Laws upon laws. But you notice that when Jesus was attacked or when he was spoken to or questioned, he rarely followed those rules. He rarely answered ethical questions in the way that they expected him to answer. You think about the woman caught in adultery. The, the law was really clear. She should be stoned to death. That was the law. That's what they would have abided by. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say what you and I would say. He says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. He changed it. He changed it. He didn't live by ethics. He didn't live with a moral framework. So if we're to follow Jesus, how did he live? How does this, how does he live? How does he operate? Well, first of all, and there are two things that really, the way Jesus lived. First of all, Jesus was always led by the Spirit. Always led by the Spirit. And we need to understand that when Jesus functioned on earth, he didn't function in his godness. He didn't function in his deity. He emptied himself and he allowed himself to be led by the Spirit. Yeah? And the same Spirit that led him leads us. Yeah? So you have the same Spirit. The Spirit that led Jesus leads you. He didn't have a special sort of, well, you know, okay, well, I'll just click in there. I know that. No, it was the Holy Spirit that guided him. And one of the reasons I think that was, was in order to put faith in us that we could be led. That the Holy Spirit can lead you every day. 
Yeah? And it's not a matter of, should I do this or should I go there? I used to have those ethical dilemmas. Should I get my hair cut at that barber's or the other barber's? I used to ask those kinds of questions. God, what do you think? Yeah? But the moment you go there, you can see the problem. Should I put on my left shoe first or my right shoe? Holy Spirit, would you... Li- you don't get led like that. God doesn't lead in that kind of... I'm not saying God isn't interested in detail, but please. He was led by the Spirit. That was how he lived. And the second thing, and it's really simple, if we are to walk as Jesus walked, we're to be led by the Spirit. The second thing we're to do is we're to be submitted to the Father. That's that's how you do it. You're led by the Spirit and you're submitted. And what that means is you and I don't make our own decisions. What that means is you and I don't run with our own agendas. What that means is we're forever going, Father. But don't mishear me. I'm being serious. We don't, what that doesn't mean is God told me to put my left shoe on, not my right first. Yeah? That, I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about that kind of, you know, Jesus told me to do No, No. But I am saying, in my spirit, am I submitted? Because, because the key to Jesus dying on the cross was his obedience to the Father. And he was obedient, the Bible tells us, even unto death. He was obedient to the Father in every situation. But the Bible never tells us whether Jesus thought to go left, left foot first. It, it tells us where God led him, but it doesn't tell us those kinds of things. So how ought we to live? We ought to be led by the Spirit and we ought to be submitted to the Father. And those are the two things. And, and, and those things mean that you abide. And if you abide, you will be fruitful. So how do we know if we're being fruitful? How do you know whether you're a fruitful Christian? How do you know whether you are um, producing fruit, as the Bible says, in keeping with repentance? How, How do you know that? Well, firstly, it's not that you won't have problems, but there is an element where your problems change. When you're fruitful... And you're, and you're able to move on and you're able to develop, you become more sensitive to the spirit and your problems change. And what I mean by that is simply this. I used to struggle with some things in my 20s that I do not struggle with in my 40s. And it's not just because I got older. <laughs> yeah? Let me be honest. It's not just because I was, I got older, I just matured out of those things. No, I know people in their 40s who are still struggling with those things. It's not because I got older that you continually submit yourself. It's continuous submission. Continuous. It's continually coming to God and asking him. And we know what the fruits of the Spirit, they're there in Galatians 5.22. You need to look at them. You need to say, God, how can I be more gentle? How can I be more patient than I was this time last? How, How do I do that? I want to submit. I want to submit my ways to your ways. I want to follow you. It says in John 15 that, that those who are connected into the vine will do what the Father commanded. There's only one command in John 15 that it reads about, and that is that you would love one another. 
So my discipleship, my abiding as a Christian is connected to you guys. Yeah? And if we're really honest, we probably have more problems with one another than we do with God himself. Yeah? It's one of the litmus tests of true maturity is how we grow in relationship with one another. It's not just how I grow in my relationship with God because at one level, I can, I can go in my room and I can pray and I can seek God and I can feel that God has done all sorts of things in me. But when I come out, as I relate to you, nothing's changed. You see, Jesus makes loving one another for want of a better word, missional. It's not just pastoral. Oh, isn't it great to love one another? He makes it missional because in one place he says, by this all men will know. By the way you love one another, people will know that I, Jesus, came from the Father. So loving one another is a really important part of what it means to walk as Jesus walked. So if nothing else, it tells us that you can't walk as Jesus walked alone. You can't think to yourself, well, do you know what? I, I'm not in a church right now because the Lord has just taken me away and I'm doing my... No, if you're going to really walk as Jesus walked, you do that in community. You do that in relationship. Because maturity comes out of how you handle the reality of the world in which you live. And people are affected when they see loving communities. It's great that we live in a place like Brixton, or we, we function in a place like Brixton, where it's a very, very helpful community. People want to help people here. Yeah? People want to do stuff. They want to get alongside people. They, they want to support one another. And all of that is great. But what we need to do and what we present into that world is love and acceptance. Something that God does in us. One of the key tests of being Christian is fruit. That we are to bear fruit and we're to bear fruit that remains. And so my question to us this morning is are we bearing fruit? Are we being fruitful? Do we feel more connected to Jesus than we maybe have done? Do we feel more connected to one another than maybe we have done? It's not simply about ethical dilemmas. What do I do in this situation? What do I do if that happens? Because do you know what? The Holy Spirit leads you there. And Jesus' answers tell us that he doesn't necessarily follow an immediate pattern. Oh, Jesus always did this. Or sometimes he, sometimes he seems to pull people forward and sometimes he sends them out. He doesn't of, often operate in a way that's really consistent. It's not always logical. But he was fruitful and we're called to be fruitful. I'll just remind us of this passage again and I'll tell you some of the things that will come up over the next few weeks. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And I'm saying that that's primarily about being led by the Spirit and surrender. It's about following. It's about a deep, I will not do it myself. 
I will follow. Jesus never did his own thing when he was on earth. He only never did what he saw the Father doing. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you have uh, such a willingness to, to become ever closer to us. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that for each person here, they might find you to be closer to them today than you were yesterday. That they might find themselves more sensitive to you today than they were yesterday. Holy Spirit, would you lead and guide us individually and as a community together? We know, Holy Spirit, that you always seek out the glory of the Father. You never seek out your own glory. And would you help us to become a people that always seek out the glory of the Father? Never our own glory. I pray where some of us have our own agendas, where there are things that we want to do. There are places we want to go. There are things that we want to achieve. And Father, we can all be like this, and sometimes we can think it's a call or, or whatever. I pray, God, that we would learn to submit those, to surrender those. No matter how good it might seem, no matter how noble the, the desire or the act, that we would surrender them. Because your ways are so often not our ways. And your thoughts are so often not our thoughts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.